So kingdom building involves tackling the hard stuff. The uh, first two sessions we had were more on foundational, perhaps. You could, it's, it's not really, it's, it's all of life. It's not just foundational, but it lays the groundwork for some other things that are to happen, and that's the case here. We can't ha tackle hard stuff as in relationships if the foundation isn't there. We need a foundation, and that's what we're talking about first. For this session, I'd like to start in Philippians chapter 3. Then we'll talk about Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 and Matthew 20, as we have direction here. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. <clears throat> Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, hope, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So here we have uh, the Apostle Paul writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he, he writes a number of things here, but Notice in verse 17 and 18, there's two walks. It says, Mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example, and then going to 20, which is the ongoing part of the, of the sentence. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the heavenly walk. And then in verse 18, from any walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Two walks. Uh, it says they mind earthly things. So we have the heavenly walk and the earthly walk. Okay? So, uh, how do you interpret this? He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. So is verse 18 about, verse 17 about Christians and verse 18 about non-Christians? Or is the whole thing about Christians? Is it possible for a Christian to be in verse 18 and 19? Pardon? By spurts. By spurts. Okay. <laughs> He's playing it safe. <laughs> yeah. Any more thoughts? 
Okay, not possible to remain there. You know, I'd like to think that I'm in verse 17 and you're in verse 18. Right? You know? But is it that way? Is it always that way? Are there times where we simply mind earthly things as Christians? And the reason I'm bringing this in here is because how does that affect our relationships with each other? How does that impact the way we relate to each other? So you have Church A that will not ask Church B to share pulpits with their pastors. Or you have person A rejects counsel from person B because he uses the wrong translation. Or you have traveling teacher A will not travel with traveling teacher B because they don't have the same understanding about cross-cultural relationships. Or you have person A refused to bless person B because he was hurt by him. You hurt me, so I can't bless you. You know, think of the person you like the least. Well, let me ask first, what do you think God makes of all this? Uh, one, one thing that, that uh, really does concern me, and I don't have answers like I wish I did. I think God has answers. I'm sure he does. I know he does. But why is it that we, in our conservative settings, have so many, uh, I don't know what you call them, separations, lack of relationships with each other? You know, so think of the person you like the least. Do you think that person will be in heaven? And if he is, and you get there, is that going to be okay with you? You know? So we have two walks. You know, I had a man tell me one time, you're the most difficult person I ever worked with. He probably was true. But you know what? He's a godly man. He's a man that God is using. So does that mean now that I'm going to set him apart and can't relate to him? Does that mean I won't bless him because he said something hurtful to me, even if it was true? You know, what's your, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? <clears throat> How does God relate to all this? So there's two walks here. And I don't know, I think, I, I'm not, I won't insist what the interpretation is. There's a difference between interpretation and application. I'm going to make the application here that verse 18 sometimes applies to us as Christians. There's times when someone may come up with something and say something that is way off the wall, and they're Christians. <laughs> you know, have they stepped into the world now? No, it's just that they've stepped into the venue of minding earthly things. And so we're tempted to, you know, push that person out, put him over there. I'm here, he's there. You know, I can't relate to him now because of what he said or what he did. But horror to me, he's going to show up in heaven. Then what? You know, I'm just thinking out loud here. So am I going to be okay with that? And if I expect to be in the same heaven he is, how should that relate, how should that impact my relationship with him here? Or should it? Kingdom building involves tackling the hard stuff. And that's what I'm talking about. 
The hard stuff of getting along with each other, forgiving each other, giving each other space, and recognizing our, each other's weaknesses for what they are, and not condemning each other because of those weaknesses, but giving each other grace. That's what I'm talking about here. So I don't know how that relates to you all in your uh, intra-staff relationships, but I assume it comes up. <laughs> you know, where you have people, you're going to have things like this sometimes. Or even inter-staff, you know, you have Mountain View versus Hillcrest or that sort of thing, all competing for the same volunteer service people base, you know. I don't know how that relates to all that, but, you know, somehow we need to learn to give each other grace and space. And I'm not saying you don't. But what I'm saying is that this is something that's very real for us as people, as conservative people. We don't have a very good history in these lines. Uh, I know one man, he has five sons. And the five sons are all bishops in different churches. But two of those bishops are not politically able to commune with their three brothers because it's in a little different, little different venue, or a little different group. <laughs> okay? They don't commune with each other. And yet they're all conservative, you know, conservative Anabaptists or whatever. I'm just using that for example. And I'm not exempt from that. I, you know, it's, it's just real stuff that we deal with and how do we relate to that. Uh, do you have any comments or any input, any questions? I was uh, doing my work and... I take care of people's fruit trees. People have a lawn care business, you know, they mow the lawns. I have a fruit tree care business. I do fruit tree care for individual homeowners. So in the wintertime, I'm going around trimming people's fruit trees. And right now, I'm spraying, taking care of the spraying issues. And it takes me through Labor Day. So that's what I do. And so this past winter, I arrived at a place, and I have been taking care of their fruit trees for probably three years. I forget, something like that, two or three years, had two two nice young trees there that I had a joy in training and developing. And when I first got there, the trees were sort of a bush, you know, all shade and leaves and no fruit. And they said, you know, we need help. And so I was trying to help them, and the trees were just coming out really beautifully. And, you know, this is my carnality, but you get emotional investment even in trees, <laughs> okay? So these trees were special to me. They were really responding nicely. I drove into this place, and do you know what? Somebody had trimmed that tree by cutting off all the tips of the branches. Now, I don't know if you know anything about fruit trees or not, but that's the worst thing you could do. You just took all the fruit off because the fruit generally is at the tip of the branches. That's how you trim a shade tree, like a maple tree. You cut the ends off, and then it comes out in nice shade again. Well, they just turned that tree into a shade tree. It's what they did. <laughs> and I, I drove in and I saw this. And, you know, my mind's working. I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm astounded. And I'm, I'm feeling bad because now they lost their fruit. And just at that time, their daughter shows up. And so I said, I'm sorry about your fruit tree. She said, oh, yeah. I said, it won't be fruitful this year, and I'm sorry about that. Oh, she said, my brother did. I think he knows what he's doing. And I, and I was very negative. I don't remember exactly what I said at that point, but what I said was a negative comment. And she was very hurt. So, what should I do about it? So what I said was true. 
And I didn't raise my voice. I wasn't angry. You know, it was just a, an ordinary conversation, and yet it really hurt her. You know, so what do I do about that? We'll think about that some more in a little bit. So here we have the two walks. We have the walk, which is heavenly, and the walk, which minds earthly things. And sometimes we step into the, into, we go back and forth, right? Can you identify with that? We find ourselves in earthly things sometimes. And that's when we say things we shouldn't. That's when we respond in ways we shouldn't. That's when we hurt people. That's when things happen that shouldn't be happening. And so, you know, we need to repent of that. Uh, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, in writing this, and I, I'm not sure what these, who these people were, Iodius and Syntyche. I don't even know if they were male or female. Does anybody know? There were two people that he's encouraging to have the same mind in the Lord, and I assumed that they weren't getting along. My wife said, well, that may not be necessarily. She, they may have been getting along. He's just giving encouragement in general, which could be. I don't know. But I was, I was looking at this thing as, as maybe they had an issue getting along. And he says, therefore, my, my, my brethren, have the same mind in the Lord. And he's encouraging them to have the same mind. But, and then he goes on, uh, and he gives the mindset that we need to have in order to get along, in order to have the same, have a working relationship with each other. And that's in verses 4 through 8. And verse 8 gives a list of things that we should be thinking about. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We are what we think, so we should think on it, and we should say those things. But it's possible to be honest and be brutal, right? It's possible to say the truth and hurt people, right? It's possible to be just and be absolutely devastating to people. So what of that? We go back to verse 6 and 7. And uh, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives three things that should be present before verse 8. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But notice in verse 8, he gives the things we need to be thinking about, the foundation of our thoughts and our words. But verse 6 and 7 then give the, the context in which that is to be given. I'll come back to that in just a bit. For now, let's go to... Uh, let's go to Matthew 5. <clears throat> And verse uh, 20, I think it is. 21. Ye have heard that it hath been said, that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembrance that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou are in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So what happens? We put each other in prison. You hurt me, I put you in my prison. Uh, I hurt you, you, I put you, you put me in your prison. We put each other in prisons. Okay? That's what he's talking about. Uh, 
Agree with an adversary quickly while starting the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. So if you're in somebody's prison, how are you going to get out of it? Or if you put somebody else in your prison, how are you going to help them get out of it? That's what we're talking about. That's the hard stuff. Kingdom building involves tackling the hard stuff. The easiest thing to do is hope it goes away. Don't talk about it. Don't do anything about it. Just ignore. You know, if somebody hurts me, you know what I tend to do? You can guess. What do you do? Ignore them. Okay? We lived on a farm for a while, and we had some cats there, which I'm not a cat lover. And so I ignored the cats. And the poor things, eventually, they just crawled underneath the pickup out back in the weeds and died. They were unloved, <laughs> unwanted, and they died. You know, and so when we're hurt, we tend to withdraw and, and just insulate ourselves against that hurt in case it happens again. But that's the worst thing to do. It won't heal that way. We need to address each other. We need to, we need to be able to confront each other. Now, maybe that's not the right word, but we need to be able, be able to communicate with each other so that these things can be healed. Uh, the beautiful thing about the Christian life is that these things can be mended. They can be mended. They don't have to be plaguing us for the rest of our lives. We need to forgive. And uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. But here it says, If thou bring thy gift to the altar, there rememberest thy brother ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way and be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer thy gift. Uh, <clears throat> and when you come to your brother or your sister that you've offended, I think it's very important that we're honest about what we did and why we did it. So if I hurt you, I may have, what's a good example? I don't know. I may have said something really injurious against you. Really, really injurious. And you were hurt. And so I come to you and I say, you know, I'm really sorry what I did. Will you forgive me? And you say, yes, I forgive you. But if I come to you and I say, I'm sorry for what I said against you. I had hatred in my heart for you, and I, I beg your pardon for that. Why are you laughing? It sounds different. Is it different? Yeah, it's different. It's more in-depth. It goes to the core of why you did it. We need to be honest and say, this is what I did, and this is why I did it. It's a more thorough, complete confession. Those kind of commitments, those kind of repentance, that kind of repentance, Satan cannot resist. <laughs> he cannot grab onto that thing and say, well, you didn't completely confess. No, you did. You know, but I'm just, I'm just bringing that in here. I think it's a very important matter for us to consider. If we want good relationships with people around us, we need to be willing to humble ourselves and say, I was wrong, and confess and, and admit or acknowledge what I did was wrong, and then why I did it. Maybe it's malice in my heart. It's hatred. It's bitterness. It's jealousy. It's anger. Whatever it is, it's, it's there. It's, it's immorality. Whatever it is, be honest with it and, and say, that's what caused me to do what I did, and I'm very sorry about that. You know, those, those kind of, that kind of openness with each other can go a long ways, I think, in mending relationships. There's people that say, well, I, I said sorry to him. I, 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 you know, I, I'm trying to trying to do everything I can to, to, to be a, a good person to him again. But if we don't go to the core of why we did it, 
there's always going to be that little bit of hurt down in there. Just, we arrived here yesterday, Tuesday. Is it today Wednesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Monday evening, I sat in the dentist's chair, and he took a tooth out. That's why I have a little bit of a bulge here. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so he pulled the tooth out, and that tooth has been giving me some problems for a while. And the interesting thing is when he pulled the tooth out, you know how a tooth has two roots or two parts going down? He took a tweezers and squeezed the one part, and pus jumped out of it. So there was an infection way down deep in that tooth that I could feel, but you couldn't see it. You know, if he took x-rays, then he knew it was there. Of course, I knew it was there because I could feel it. But just looking at it, you couldn't see it. So on the surface, everything was okay, but underneath, that thing was still there. And that's how it is when we try to impartially repent of our, what we've done to each other. There's still something down in there that doesn't go away. And it makes problems in our relationships. It makes mending relationships really difficult. And we say, well, you know, I took him a fruit basket. I, I gave him $100 or, you know, I was trying to be really nice to him. We try to earn each other's salvation by works. Does that work? It doesn't for Jesus. No. You can do all kinds of good things that doesn't take care of our sin problem. And you could, maybe you've hurt someone. You can do all kinds of nice things to him, but until you get to the root of why you did it, you're not going to have clearance in, in that relationship. Am I saying anything? I think it's very important when you think about mending relationships with each other. And again, I can be one day be in a really good relationship with someone. The next day, it can be terrible, right? Relationships can crumble really quickly. It's unfortunate, but that's how it is. And so we need to constantly be in a mode of working to rebuild relationships, mending relationships, and cultivating a... Uh, an atmosphere, an atmosphere where relationships can be nurtured and built up and renewed and so on. So I have a big hole in my jaw, or, you know, it's, it's healing now. It, it doesn't hurt like it did, but it's going to take some time for that thing to heal over. And that's how it is in our relationships. It takes time. We need to give each other time. There's times I've said to my wife, you know, I'm really sorry. She said, well, just give me a little time here. I'll forgive you, but just give me a little time here. <laughs> we have fun with that. <laughs> But, you know, that's how it is. You know, you can do wrong to somebody and, and realize, you know, I did wrong, then go back and well, you just you need to give them space. And actually, I, I, tell me if I'm correct. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it teaches us to ask forgiveness for each other. Does anyone know of any place at all the Bible tells us to ask forgiveness for each other? We're supposed to extend forgiveness. But for me to ask you to forgive me, I don't see anywhere where it's done or where it's taught to be done. But what are, what are we to ask? Turn to Matthew 18. <clears throat> Matthew 18 here is a parable, and I'll go, I'll, I'm going ahead of myself. I'll jump back again. But in verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened under a certain king which would take account of his servants. Uh, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him with owed him 10,000 talents, and so on. So this servant owed his Lord 10,000 talents. And the Lord said, pay up. And the servant fell on his face and worshipped. He said, have patience me, I'll pay you everything. And the, verse 27, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him and forgave him the debt, because he knew he could never repay the debt. 
never repay the debt. That same servant that was forgiven the debt turned around and found another fellow servant that owed him 100 pence, which is a lot less money. And pay me what you owe. And the fellow servant said, please have mercy on me. I'll pay you everything. But this first servant had no mercy and cast him in prison and said, you're going to stay there until you pay your debt. So what's the lesson here? What did this first servant not understand? Right. And what's another word for that? It says here, use the word actually. Uh, oh, it doesn't use the word. The Lord was moved with compassion, loosed him, forgave him the debt. What's the word that describes that? Okay. I'm thinking mercy. Mercy. The Lord had mercy on that servant. And the servant didn't understand mercy. So when I ask you to forgive me, let's say I really terribly wronged you. And I come and say, will you forgive me? What am I asking? Okay, when I, when I did that wrong, okay, we were, we were partners, right? We were colleagues. Then I did that wrong against you. In your view, I'm now down here. I come back and say, will you forgive me? You know what I'm asking? Will you put me up here again? I don't see anywhere where we're supposed to ask for that. What are we supposed to ask for? Mercy. Mercy. Because if I come back to you and I say, will you have mercy on me? You can use the word forgive. It doesn't matter, the words. But if, you, if I come back to you with the attitude, will you have mercy on me? I'm keeping myself down here. And when you decide, I'll come up here with you again. But that's, that's your timetable, not mine. People come and say, well, you know, I asked him to forgive me, and now it's up to him. He doesn't forgive me. That's his problem now, is it? Is it? The problem is I haven't humbled myself. When I insist you must forgive me, I mean, I'm, it's arrogance. It's pride. It's not recognizing what I actually did to you. But when I come to you and I say, will you have mercy on me? I'm recognizing what I did to you was very hurtful, very damaging, and leaves scars. And I'm simply asking you to have mercy on me that if in time you feel good, you feel well, that you will restore our relationship again. But for me to insist on you to, 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 to restore a relationship you're not ready for, I don't know that we're asked to do that. Am, am I, uh, correct me, am I wrong, am I right? This, this, uh, this servant in this parable didn't understand mercy. He was forgiven, and the Lord had mercy on him, but <clears throat> he didn't understand. And so I think we need to understand mercy with each other. Going back to Matthew 5, they're referring to that again. So if I know my brother is all against me, whose responsibility is it now to go do something about it? It's mine, right? And there's a lot of things we can't change. There's a lot of things happen that are out of our control. And to mend the relationship, it takes two people working together. It does. What if the one person insists on not mending the relationship? What then? Does that mean you can't do anything at all? One lesson I get out of Matthew 5 there is that what is mine, I need to take responsibility for. What I have done against you, I need to take responsibility for that.
however small or large it might be. Maybe it's just a little grain. So this girl, you know, she was hurt because of what I said in response to what her, she said, my brother did that, and I think he did a good job. He'd done a terrible job. But you know, what I said to her was despising to her, to her brother. It hurt her. She loves her brother. He's a good man. I know him personally. He's a good man. I know him. <laughs> you know, and so his character is, is good. What he did wasn't good, but what I said there was hurtful to her. So I, had to, I went back and I apologized for the hurt I caused. Now, what I said was correct, but what, the, the way I said it and how I went about it was very hurtful. And I think, I think it's important that we recognize that with each other. When I cause you hurt, even if what I said was correct, if I cause you hurt, it is so valuable to go back and recognize the hurt that you had. It gives you value as a person. If I don't recognize the hurt you had, it's a put down for you, from me. But if I recognize that hurt that I gave you and feel that with you, that's giving that person value. It's, it's, it's creating an atmosphere for mending to begin. Does that make sense? I just want to bless and encourage that we are open with each other and we're willing to make things right with each other where we have caused hurt and where things have happened that shouldn't have. <clears throat> uh, in Matthew 18 here, the verses right prior to what I read, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee, not unto thee until seven times, but seventy times seven. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, forgive, forgive, forgive. Kingdom building means we forgive each other, even if it's not asked for. It means that we extend grace to each other, recognizing that I myself can mean the same offense that you have. And one thing we forget sometimes, going back to Philippians 3, verse 17, 18 there, the different walks. One thing we forget sometimes, just as you hurt me, I can also hurt you. Just as other people have hurt me, that's how I have hurt other people. And when I recognize that, it helps me understand that, oh, I'm the same as other people. <laughs> I'm no better than you. And if, if you can have grace with me, I'll be willing to have, you know, we, we have grace with each other, realizing we're all in the same shoes. We really are. Giving each other grace. <coughs> Forgiveness is both an option and a requirement. <coughs> Forgiveness is an option that we need to choose. It's also a requirement if we want to rebuild relationships and mend. Mend, mend strained and broken relationships. Tackling the hard stuff. And we say, well, you know, what he did was wrong, and it was unjust, and it was, you know, was, uh, there needs to be some kind of reparations for this, you know, it needs to be something happening. But in Romans 12 and Hebrews 10 both, it quotes a commandment in the Old Testament. It's from Deuteronomy 32. It says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. It's not ours to give back what's owed. That's God's business. Ours is to love, to forgive, and to love. I've had young people come to me and say, well, you know, my, my parents won't let me go to church. 
uh, I want to be a Christian, and they don't want me to be a Christian, and you know, how do I do this? It's, it's the right thing to do, so I need to go to, Christi- need to, go to church and be a Christian. And they don't, they don't understand because they're not spiritual, they're carnal. I've heard them say that. And then I ask them, I say, well, if you insist in your pride to do what is right because they're wrong, what would they think of your Christianity? Would they want to become one? Well, no, probably not. But if we, in brokenness and humility, relate to each other, that can bring healing, can bring growth, can mend, can mend relationships in a good way. And again, it goes back to the attitude. The attitude behind it. And the attitude I displayed to this girl was very injurious. It was. And I'm, I wish all of my relationships would be that easy to mend. <laughs> it, that wasn't a hard one at all. But I had to humble myself and say, well, I was wrong. And in the same way, we need to do that with, with all of our relationships. Some are easy and some are harder. But we need to tackle the hard stuff. Kingdom building involves tackling the hard stuff. And I think you know more about this kind of thing than I do. As you work with the staff and your, your units, or as units between each other, families and so on, uh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's something we work with, we need to face and come to grips with. Going back to Philippians. Uh, oh, Matthew 20. Let me point that out here yet quickly. Uh, this is where James and John came to Jesus. Well, their mother came to Jesus too, according to one of the other Gospels. I guess the three of them came. And here it says in Matthew 20, verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him, desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one in thy right hand, the other in the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. So that's that conversation. Here were two disciples and their mother that weren't properly informed, maybe a bit naive, just asking, just wanting information or just, you know, probing, seeing if this is a possibility. Not a lot of damage done. Look now in verse uh, 24. When the ten heard of it, they were moved with indignation. What's that mean? What's indignation? Anger. Anger? Jealousy? All those things. Yeah, it's reaction. Okay? And notice that Jesus' words to his ten disciples versus the two disciples. The two disciples, and I wish I could, could have heard his voice, the tone of his voice. I, I often wish I could have heard him preach. <laughs> you know, I just love to preach like him. I don't know if I do. I don't know, think I do. But I love to preach like Jesus did. I just imagine his words and his motions and whatever all. But... What he said to these two disciples is different than what he said to the ten. Notice that. Because the two disciples, I think it was more of a situation of, well, they were ignorant. They just didn't know. They weren't looking for anything nasty or, you know, terribly way off the wall. But now when the, there was indignation, then Jesus said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. He went right to the core. Right to the 
right to the spot where it, where it came from. It's not going to be that way, folks. It's not going to be that way in our group. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. It's not that way. He, he stopped it right there. He was very direct, very forthright. And sometimes in our relationships, it calls for that. But we need to do it with grace. We need to do it with patience and with, uh, with the, the, the power and direction of God. But notice here how Jesus spoke differently to the two disciples and the ten. But now going back to Philippians uh, 3, uh, in verse 8, again, the ver- it says uh, things that are true, honest, just, pure, good report, virtue, praiseworthy. That's what we should think about. That's what we should talk about. That's our, what our communication should be. But in verse 6 and 7, we have three things that come before verse 8. And if these three things are not present before verse 8, then verse 8 can be brutal and injurious and hurtful. But if the things in verse 6 and 7 are present, then I think verse 8 can be a powerful builder of our churches and our homes and our units. Look what it says, verse 8, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. First of all, bathe the situation in prayer. Maybe it's someone you need to talk to, someone you want to talk to, someone you want to uh, respond to, you want to confess to. Bathe the thing in prayer. Just bathe it in prayer. Uh, everything by prayer and supplication. That means just take it to God in fervency, in your quiet personal time with him. Just lay it to him. Give it to him and ask him for power. Ask him for brokenness. Ask him for humility. Ask him to take you to the point where Isaiah was in his face. He's undone. He's broken. He's finished. He's humble. That's where we need to be. And then secondly, it says with thanksgiving. We have thankful hearts. That will go a long ways in encouraging mending in broken relationships or strained relationships. If there's gratefulness in our heart, gratefulness in our manner, in our speaking, in how we look at life, we're grateful. There's so many things, good things can happen because of that context. And thirdly, it says, in the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And I'm just drawing this out. I think if the peace of God is deeply present in our life, then, then we can relate well to other people in truth, in honesty, in justice, in and uh, impurity and all those things. So again, uh, the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God means we tackle the hard stuff. We don't push it away. We don't put it, we don't put it under, but we deal with it. We put it up front and we deal with it the way God wants us to. And I think it's important that we deal with it in the day we hear of it. That's another principle from the Old Testament that I think certainly applies here. When you hear of something or when something happens to you, don't wait to deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Deal with it soon, sooner rather than later. And deal with it graciously. So God bless you. God bless your relationships. And I trust that God will increase his work in your lives.